Alas, sir, said Monte Cristo, this spectacle is neither strange to my eye nor my thought. I am something of a physician. I have, like my fellows, sought more than once for the soul in living and in dead matter. Yet, like Providence, it has remained invisible to my eyes, although present to my heart. A hundred writers since Socrates have made, in verse and prose, the comparison you have made, and yet I can well understand that a father's sufferings may affect great changes in the mind of a son. I will call on you, sir, since you bid me contemplate, for the advantage of my pride, this terrible spectacle, which must have been so great a source of sorrow for your family. It would have been so unquestionably, had not God given me so large a compensation. In contrast with the old man who is dragging his way to the tomb, are two children just entering into life, Valentine, the daughter of my first wife, Mademoiselle Renée de Saint-Marin, and Edward, the boy whose life you have this day saved. And what is your deduction from this compensation, sir? inquired Monte Cristo. My deduction is, replied Villefort, that my father led away his passions, has committed some fault unknown to human justice, but marked to the justice of God, that God, desirous in his mercy to punish but one person, has visited this justice on him alone. Monte Cristo, with a smile on his lips, uttered in the depths of the soul a groan which would have made Villefort fly had he but heard it. Adieu, sir, said the magistrate, who had risen from his seat. I leave you bearing a remembrance of you, a remembrance of esteem, which I hope will not be disagreeable to you when you know me better for I am not a man to bore my friends, as you will learn. Besides, you have made an eternal friend of Madame de Villefort. The Count bowed and contented himself with seeing Villefort to the door of his cabinet. The procurer, being escorted to his carriage by two footmen, who, on a signal from their master, followed him with every mark of attention. When he had gone, Monte Cristo breathed a profound sigh and said, Enough of this poison, now let me seek the antidote. Then, sounding the bell, he said to Ali, who entered, I am going to the, to Madame's chamber. Have a carriage ready at one o'clock. It will be recollected that the new, or rather old, acquaintance of the Count of Monte Cristo, residing in the Rue Meslay, were no other than Maximilian, Julie, and Emmanuel. The very anticipations of delight to be enjoyed in his forthcoming visits, the bright, pure gleam of heavenly happiness it diffused over the almost deadly warfare in which he had voluntarily engaged 
illuminated his whole countenance with a look of ineffable joy and calmness as, immediately after Villefort's departure, his thoughts flew back to the cheering prospect before him of tasting at least a brief respite from the fierce and stormy passions of his mind. Even Ali, who had hastened to obey the Count's summons, went forth from his master's presence in a charmed amazement at the unusual animation and pleasure depicted on the features ordinarily so stern and cold. While, as though dreading to put flight to the agreeable ideas hovering over his patron's meditations, whatever they were, the faithful Nubian walked on tiptoe towards the door, holding his breath, lest its faintest sound should dissipate his master's happy reverie. It was noon, and Monte Cristo had set apart one hour to be passed in the apartments of Haiti, as though his oppressed spirit could not at all could not all at once admit the feeling of pure, unmixed joy, but required a gradual succession of calm and gentle emotions to prepare his mind to receive full and perfect happiness. In the same manner as ordinary natures deemed <coughs> demand to be injured by degrees to the reception of a strong or violent sensation. The young Greek, as we have already said, occupied the apartments wholly unconnected with those of the Count. The rooms had been fitted up in strict accordance with Oriental ideas. The floors were covered with the richest carpets of Turkey. The walls hung with brocaded silk of the most magnificent designs and texture, while around each chamber luxurious divans were placed with piles of soft and yielding cushions that needed only to be arranged at the pleasure or convenience of such who as sought repose. <coughs> Haiti had three French maids and one who was a Greek. The first three remained constantly in a small waiting room, ready to obey the summons of a small golden bell or to receive the orders of the Romanic slave who knew just enough French to be able to transmit her mistress's wishes to the three other waiting women. The latter had received the most peremptory instructions from Monte Cristo to treat Haiti with all the deference they would observe to a queen. The girl, her, <coughs> the young girl herself generally passed her time in the chamber at the farther end of her apartments. This was a sort of boudoir, circular and lit only from the roof, which consisted of rose-coloured glass. Haiti was reclining upon a soft, downy cushions, covered, covered with blue satin and silver. Her head, supported by one of her exquisitely moulded arms, rested on the divan immediately behind her, while the other was employed in adjusting to her lips the coral tube of a rich nagil, through whose flexible pipe she drew up the